WAER Sports proudly presents the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. And Syracuse has knocked off NC State 24-9. The students rush the field. The Orange are bowl eligible in 6-0 for just the third time in the last 87 years. Syracuse stops out the Spiders. It took overtime to do so, but the Orange claim the first semifinal of the Empire Classic 74 to 71. Breaking down the orange every week. Syracuse's defense dropped by 20 spots on Ken Palm last night. So that was really embarrassing. I think Malik Brown should be getting more minutes. He shows the energy. I think he brought energy when he came to the floor. And talking with the industry's experts. We're joined by a very special guest and a friend of the podcast, Brent Axe. We now have the pleasure of being joined by David Thompson from the USA Today Network. We're joined by a very special guest. It's former SU men's lacrosse star and current ESPN analyst, Paul Carcaterra. It's the Ostrom Avenue podcast from WAER. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. My name is Ethan Frank. Today is Wednesday, January 10th. And as always, we're brought to you by Empire Hearing and Audiology Final Podcast. I'll record here from my home in Connecticut. Jordan, still down in sunny Florida. At least I think it's sunny. Is it sunny this morning, Jordan? Uh, It's sunnier than it has been in in the the last couple of days, but... Won't be here much longer. Right after recording this podcast, going to go get breakfast and head to the airport because, you know, who doesn't want to go back to great 28-degree Syracuse, New York? I do love wearing my sweatpants, so I got to get back into the flow of things with that. I uh, I am also heading to the airport today, but I'm heading south, not north, and down to North Carolina for a couple of games this week. Hudson is back in Denver finally. It feels like forever since he's been home. <laughs> Hudson, how are you? It's early. Uh, I, I'm all around the map, and now I'm all around the clock, and I'm up at uh, it's 7.02 right now, Denver time, a uh, early 7.02. But uh, my, hey. my my face may not be awake, but my mind is. My The inner mechanisms of my mind are turning, and I'm ready to talk. Seriously, Champions what? wake up at 7 a.m. They do. Champions right. do wake up at 7 a.m. And you know what, Jordan? I'm a champion. I'm a champion. Wow. Yep. We'll see what you're the champion of. Uh, that is still yet to be figured out. Um, let's start the show today, guys. There was no men's game over the weekend, and the team hasn't played since it lost to Duke uh, last Tuesday, which we talked about on the Ostrom Take Factory. If you didn't hear that released over the weekend, we highly recommend you check it out wherever you get your podcasts or or find it on our YouTube channel as well. Let's start with talking about Felicia Leggett-Jack and Syracuse women's basketball today because there's a lot to like about this team. Um, I'll be at the game on Thursday down in Winston-Salem where the Orange take on uh, ACC uh, bottom dwellers Wake Forest. Uh, this is a team that's 10 and 12 and two, I should say right now, two and one in the conference, got a huge ranked win over Notre Dame on New Year's Eve, in which Felicia Leggett Jack maybe gave the most fired up speech to a crowd mm-hmm. post game I've ever seen. Um, Jordan, what what have you liked about this team so far this year? I think they're just so balanced is, is the way you look at it, because, I mean, there's so many players that can score on the floor at any given moment. De'Asia Fair, George Woolley, Elena Rice, Alyssa Latham, even Sophie Burroughs actually scored 17 points against Boston College. And I think that's the big difference between 
this year and last year in Syracuse teams in recent history is they have a bunch of different scorers who can score. It's not just the age of fair being relied on to score 30 points a night. And that's why they're going to have more success in the ACC because you can't rely on one specific or two specific players to score every night in the ACC when you're going to play 20 games because eventually those ACC teams are going to you know, scout you out, you know, find what De'Aja Fair doesn't do well. And if she can't pass it and rely on other players, that's when you're going to face some troubles. And that's why, I mean, Syracuse did face some trouble against North Carolina, partially because they all didn't shoot the ball very well. Um, and North Carolina is objectively a good team. But um, if they can continue sharing the ball and get everyone involved every single game, then they're going to have a good chance to win a lot of these games coming up. Personally, for me, and you mentioned the real depth of this team, but my focus has just kind of been on Alyssa Latham. Alyssa Latham is going to be a superstar. Like she, she will make it to the WNBA. And what she's doing right now as a freshman, I mean, we're seeing a wave all across women's basketball right now, college women's basketball, of really talented freshmen. You think of Malaysia Full Wiley at South Carolina and Higlato at, at Notre Dame. But then you also, you know, you have kind of the unknown ones with Alyssa Latham. And this was a really good class coming in um, to this season with Alyssa Latham and Sophie Burroughs. And show, so far, they've shown why. Alyssa Latham in the post has provided what Syracuse really didn't have full time last year and a really good, reliable post scorer. And she is that. And so moving forward, not just as a freshman, but as she continues this season, this season's great. And this may be the peak of Syracuse women's basketball because of how good DeAsia fair is. And this is the last time you to have DeAsia fair. So this may be the peak, but you can rely on Alyssa Latham to maybe not bring you back to this point, but further down the line, get you some quality wins, like when she took over against Notre Dame. Alyssa Latham is a superstar, and she's going to continue to be a superstar for the rest of her time at Syracuse. This guy's right. I mean, I don't know if he's a champion, but his brain is definitely awake. Drop it, name dropping those uh, th those women's college basketball freshmen. This guy, Hudson, knows what he's talking about. I want to go through the resume a little bit, the schedule, the non-conference. Only one loss uh, in the non-ACC slate, that was a two-point loss at a, a true road game at a ranked Maryland team that, Jordan, you were at. Then you win two games in Las Vegas uh, right after Thanksgiving at the South Point shootout. I don't know how good Northern Iowa or Iowa State are, but I do know that Syracuse beat them each by double digits on a neutral court, which is a, a very impressive win. Had a win in the ACC-SEC Challenge against Alabama and then just handled the business. And, you know, there was a bit of a letdown after becoming ranked, after beating Notre Dame, and you lose by 24 to North Carolina, and then you're a little sloppy against Boston College on Sunday. But now you have a week where you're playing two of not the best teams in the ACC, and this should be a really a, a chance, Jordan, for a bounce-back week. Yeah, I mean, everyone's bound for a disappointing game at some point. Syracuse avoided the bad losses in non-conference play. They didn't play as well as they should have against Northeastern Ohio and Cornell. But then again, you won the game and that's all that matters, especially come NCAA tournament time. Um, and you were bound to have a disappointing game. I think they had won what eight straight or seven straight. I mean, you're not going to win 25 straight or something, whatever it is um, that they have left in the year. So you're going to lose at some point, you might as well lose at North Carolina. Um, and you, you talk about these, these games coming up. I think it's going to be a good test for Syracuse to truly figure out where they stand in the ACC. You mentioned Wake Forest is a little bit of a bottom dweller. Clemson's a solid team. They played North Carolina 
somewhat close in Florida State, somewhat close um, in, in the recent games. Pittsburgh's not that good. But then you have Florida State, Notre Dame, and Virginia Tech. And if you really want to figure out where you stand in the ACC this year, if you could finish top seven, top five even, those games are really going to tell you if you can beat a Notre Dame twice. Elizabeth Kitley on home floor. Florida State's ranked on home floor. So we're really going to find out who Syracuse is in the ACC specifically coming up. Yeah, it it is a little nerve-wracking when you think about Syracuse going up against Notre Dame on the road, even though they beat them at home. The Dome is a kind of a different kind of advantage. And then taking on, I, I think the true test, you're right, Jordan. It's Virginia Tech at home because of Elizabeth Kitley and what she brings. And figuring out if you make the tournament, which I think this team will, come tournament time, who's going to guard the bigs? We got to figure out, who who on the defensive end can lock down? Now, Alyssa Latham's great on the defensive end with people her size, but Alyssa Latham's 6'1", 6'2". Elizabeth Kitley's about 6'4", 6'5", yeah. and she's got that full bag of post moves where she's developed it over a couple of years, and Alyssa Latham really isn't there yet. So we'll see how her or if Isabel Vergeau comes back um, healthy, what kind of team they can throw out there to guard Kitley. But that stretch, those back-to-back of Notre Dame on the road and Virginia Tech at home, you're right, is really going to show what this team is made of. Because for the rest of the year, I mean, way down the line in, in February, you have Duke and UNC in the same week. but Or not UNC, Duke and NC State in the same week. Um, but other than that, it really is not as difficult as the stretch where you have Florida State, a good team, Notre Dame, a good team, and Virginia Tech, a good team, only separated by Pitt. So it'll be interesting to see how they match up against those teams. And if you look at it last year, the reason why Syracuse didn't make the NCAA tournament is because they didn't take advantage of those opportunities. They're tied or have a lead against Florida State on the road, who was ranked last year. Notre Dame, they were in both games. I think they almost, they almost, yeah, they almost beat NC State at home early in January. Like they didn't capitalize on the opportunities when they had them when they were in those games. So if they can do that this year, that's an easy, easier ticket to the dance. Yeah, this is a team that's a projected seven seed in uh, the ESPN uh, women's bracketology right now. And I want to take a moment before we transition to talk about DeAsia Fair and her accomplishment right now. She's what seventeenth on the all-time NCAA Division One scoring list. Did you guys? I, I was looking at the list yesterday. You know who she is like not that far away from passing? Cheryl Miller. Oh, really? Like, like wow. arguably the greatest women's college basketball player or women's basketball player ever. Uh, that'd be the sister of Reggie Miller, who played at USC. Um, and why, you know, Reggie Miller always talks about how he was never the best basketball player in his family, despite the fact that what he's in the hall of the basketball hall of fame. Um, like this is one heck of an accomplishment for DeAsia Fair. And I think, you know, recognizing that and, and talking about it is really important because it is very, very unlikely that Syracuse fans will ever get to see this prolific of a score again. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it, – it's essentially like it, 20 points for DeAsia Fair is normal now is the thing. It's like the expectations are so high that, you know, she just meet, meets them and, and reaches them, and everyone's like, okay, that, yeah, that's DeAsia Fair, that she does what she does. She gets 20 points a game, which in college is <laughs> insane if you're getting 20-plus points a game. Um, and, you know, 
that's why I think it goes underrated is because it's just expected now. And, and she really does it every single game. I mean, we talk about, and I talked about the depth earlier and talk about how kind of that's going to help them get to the postseason. Well, if you take Deidre Fair off this team, this team is very different. Like she is that go-to scorer that they can go to at any point of time. And she makes it with ease. I mean, she shoots from three, she can drive to the rim. I mean, and let's not forget, she's doing it at a, a severe height disadvantage comparative to a lot of different guards. I mean, Georgia Woolley six foot. Deidre Fair is what? Five, four, five, five, um, yeah. five, five. Like she is not, the tallest person on the floor by any stretch of the imagination, yet she's still a scorer, which is awesome. Yeah. I think when you, when you mentioned Cheryl Miller too, in comparison, you got to take a full scope of things too, to really realize how good DeAsia fair actually is. Cheryl Miller was doing it at six foot two in the eighties when women's basketball was not really fully developed and they didn't have the WNBA to go to. So there really wasn't an incentive to be great at women's basketball. And there still were some great women's basketball players of that era that came out, but not as many as we're seeing today. And then you take into account that DeAsia Fair now in a very developed game of women's basketball at five foot five against players that are significantly taller. You have post players now that are six foot nine, six foot 10 in women's college basketball. That's not something you had way back in the day. And she's doing it at five foot five. This is like seeing Bugsy Bokes. But being good, like Muggsy Bogues wasn't that good. Muggsy Bogues wasn't scoring 25 a game. And DeAsia Fair can do that for you. It's, it's honestly the, the height disadvantage and to overcome that with, with skill is movie quality. Like it's, it's a movie quality story. It really is. And that's why Felicia Jack gets, you know, sometimes emotional talking about her in press conferences with how much she, it's meant to her to coach her for five seasons, bringing her from Buffalo to Syracuse. This is just the start of WAR's coverage of Syracuse women's basketball. We'll be talking about Coach Jack's squad as the season continues and this team makes a run towards the NCAA tournament. We'll have full coverage of the game tomorrow and I will be there. If you want to hear my lovely voice, uh, then tune into WAR at uh, bright and early at 11 a.m. Um, for Kids Day down in Winston-Salem, tip-off at 11.30, and our coverage goes all the way until 3 p.m. with the double overtime after the game on WAER.org or 88.3 FM if you're in the Syracuse area. One little thing before we move to our interview and our, our guest, Syracuse football has made some official announcements regarding Fran Brown's coaching staff, Jeff Nixon, officially on as the offensive coordinator, former running backs coach for the Giants. I believe it's Ross Douglas. Is that correct? The Patri Patriots assistant coach, who's now the, the Syracuse wide receivers coach and, and, and some other announcements as well. Anything that, that stuck out to you guys, Hudson, I'll, I'll, I'll come to you first. Uh, I just think the level of NFL talent getting NFL, well, not necessarily talent, coaching. Um, Jeff Nixon coming over from the Giants and Ross Douglas from the Patriots. I mean, obviously, having your wide receiver coach be the receiver coach for the Patriots of all NFL teams, probably not great. But the fact that it was an NFL team is pretty great. So having Ross Douglas coming in gives kind of an aura of, I don't know, respectability. It gives you an, it gives you another notch, which Syracuse desperately needs at this point. And obviously, they're not looking to, you know, prove anything to anyone super early. 
but just having that coaching on your staff, I think that matters more than having an OC and Jeff Nixon, who was running backs coach for the Giants. You have position coaches that are coming from NFL teams to go be position coaches with a different with with Syracuse. Like that is next level stuff. So I think the staff that Fran Brown has gotten together, I mean, what can't he do? It's pretty impressive. Keep in mind, those New England wide receivers have often been confer- uh, compared to Walmart workers. So the, the work done to develop those New England wide receivers apparently has been pretty good in the last Well, they put years. up Walmart worker numbers. So I yes. think. Oh, OK, um, well, you know, I, th- I agree with you. I mean, bringing in the NFL talent is only going to bring in recruits to your program when you have coaches that have been to the league and can can draw on those comparisons and those those learnings and, and get. Syracuse players to the league that's going to further enhance your program and also you look at the other coaches that have come from other D1 schools the former Buffalo defensive coordinator is a a solid guy like all these guys have experience and some connection to either Elijah Robinson or coach Brown which is going to make the cohesion of the staff a lot better and that's only going to help coach Fran Brown I mean let's remember it's his first head coaching job so as much cohesion and connection to his entire staff as he can get is only going to benefit him in the long run. Marcellus Barnes Jr. committed over the weekend. Another huge win for Fran Brown and his staff. That means Syracuse's overall recruiting ranking up to 35th in the country when it combined transfers and high school recruits on the uh, 24-7 sports composite. It's been a great offseason for Syracuse football, but we're right in the middle of the season for Syracuse basketball. And we had the pleasure of catching up with friend of the program, Brendan Marks of The Athletic, to talk about Syracuse's game against Duke from last week and preview Saturday's contest against North Carolina. We are recording this before the Boston College game for the record, but with a top 10 opponent on the horizon on Sunday, had to get Brendan's perspective on the heels so far. And he does a great job covering the entire ACC. Here it is. Hope you enjoy. We now have the pleasure of being joined. I think we can call him a recurring guest. It's Brendan Marks of The Athletic. He covers the ACC, specifically Duke and North Carolina for The Athletic. Brendan, how are you on this Tuesday afternoon? I'm doing well, thanks. I appreciate you guys having me. Of course. It's it's a pleasure to get you back on the show. Looking at the ACC as a whole to, to start things off, it's been an interesting year so far. Still very early in the conference slate, each team just having played a, a few games to this point. There have been some, some good matchups, Carolina-Clemson last weekend, some other games around the conference. W- what have you made of the ACC so far? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think that the ACC, uh, you know, is having one of its traditional, you know, 2019 three number one seeds sort of year. But I also don't think it's necessarily a bad year. Like, if we're being honest, this is just kind of what the ACC has become. It's a, it's a league that has, you know, maybe one or two legitimate contenders and then a couple of teams that are in that good, uh, you know, next tier. And then you've got a lot of middling teams who are all trying to claw their way into the NCAA tournament. So, you know, I've been really impressed, I think, by North Carolina this season. I think they're, you know, proving they're the team to beat so far. Um, you've still got a couple of bottom feeders. Thanks. Thanks, Louisville. Thanks, Notre Dame. Um, and then, you know, sort of the rest of everybody else, I think, you know, for one reason or another, you could slot into that meaty middle. You talk about the expectations and you mentioned the, the 2019 year. 
Um, North Carolina, Duke, Miami, Clemson, all of them have been ranked at, at points this year. Um, is What are your expectations for the ACC kind of as a whole um, going forward in terms of basketball? Is it more of that kind of more middle-tier conference, especially when kind of you add on those teams in the near future? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think the ACC has finished better than fifth in Ken Palm's conference rating since 2019, I believe. Um, you know, kind of wild how that happens, but you lose as many Hall of Fame coaches and as many, you know, longtime people as you have, and that's what happens. And like, you know, I think the ACC right now has seven coaches who are in their first three years at their program. Um, you know, you do still have a couple of those holdovers. You've got the Jim Laranegas and the Leonard Hamiltons and. I guess Brad Brownell kind of falls in that category by now. Um, but it's, it's you know, you would like to think that the ACC could get back to what it was. Um, but especially with the addition of the teams who are coming in next year, I don't know that any of Cal or Stanford, although Stanford has had a couple of impressive wins so far this season and SMU, I don't know that they're necessarily going to enhance the product um, to use the corporate speak, but like, listen, the ACC is always going to have some of those blue bloods. It's always going to have teams that are nationally relevant. And like you said, be it Miami, Clemson this year, Virginia obviously had its stay, Syracuse, Wake Forest even. Um, there's the potential still in this league to rise up and, and to be a contender. But, you know, I think the ACC's days of being an undisputed top three team, uh, top three league are unfortunately probably a little bit in the past. Well, maybe the chances are a bit higher now that the Pac-12 will cease to exist after this season that, you know, could 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 creep back up in, in, in the rankings. When you look at teams within the conference, it, it was pretty clear before the season you had your, your top four of Carolina, Duke, Miami, Virginia, and then Clemson has kind of come out and cemented itself as one of these upper echelon teams. Aside from the Tigers, because I think they're they're pretty obvious answer. Are there any teams that that have caught your eye in terms of over or underperforming? Even though a lot of them a lot of them have been within the middle of the conference. Yeah, you know, I I think at different levels of overachieving, there have been a couple. Like you know, I think Wake Forest is still undefeated since it's brought Efton Reed back and gotten him eligible. And you know, Steve Forbes has been saying even going back to October, like. If we have Efton Reed, we're a tournament team. And if we don't, we're not. Um, so far, that has borne out. Like, so I've been pleasantly surprised by Wake Forest in that regard. Listen, I, you know, Georgia Tech is not having a, a banner season by any means, but they also haven't been, you know, I thought they might be roadkilled this year. Um, so I've been, you know, surprised positively that way. And, you know, I think Syracuse is one of those teams that you loop in there. Like Syracuse doesn't have one of those pull the rug out from under you your season is over in December because you've got this abysmal sub 200 loss. Like Syracuse has mostly beaten the teams that you thought it would. And it's lost to the teams that you thought it would. So um, I know that's probably not the standard of success that folks in Syracuse want to be held to. Um, but I would say, you know, all three of those teams for different, for different levels have been better than I might've thought they would have been before the season. Um, one of the reasons that some of these teams are towards the top of the conference is they're led by budding stars that could eventually obviously go to the NBA. Um, looking at the conference as a whole, who are kind of the guys that you're eyeing for player of the year and guys that could get drafted in the first round come the NBA draft in June? Yeah, well, I think those are two different conversations uh, because the guy who I would say is probably in the in the front runner spot for player of the year in the conference is R.J. Davis at North Carolina. Um, you know, he had eight straight games of 20 plus points. You know, he, he looks not just like a guy who could win, you know, conference honors, but looks like a potential All-American. I mean, he's been that effective as a scorer. Um, 
it's kind of wild how both he and Caleb Love are having these banner seasons now that they're finally split apart. Um, but I'll, I'll, you know, leave my commentary there at that. Um, as far as, you know, draft pick wise, I think obviously that conversation starts with Kyle Filipowski at Duke. Um, you know, he's a guy looks, looks like, again, a potential all American candidate was preseason player of the year for a good reason. I think is still very much in that conversation. Um, hasn't necessarily been as productive from the perimeter, I think as, NBA scouts were hoping to see, but has been much better as a passer, has been much better defensively, um, you know, has been in a funk at times this season, but still has been, you know, the the driving force for Duke so far this year. And then, you know, you, you start talking about a couple of other guys around the league who maybe are not in that lottery conversation. I, I don't think Tyrese Proctor has really done himself a whole bunch of favors in the draft conversation, some of that through injury, some of that through inefficiency. Um, Jared McCain is a guy who doesn't have the best measurables in the world, but man, can he shoot that thing? Um, and if, you know, if you have an NBA skill, it tends to translate and NBA teams tend to value that. So, you know, I'd say he's a guy who's probably, you know, looking at being a, a late first rounder as of right now. Um, I don't know if it'll be this year or next year, but, you know, Wooga Poplar is a really intriguing name down at Miami. Um, you know, PJ Hall at Clemson is a guy probably not first round just because of his age, but, you know, as a, as an inside out big man, somebody who can do a little bit of everything, you know, in the second round there, I think he could be an option. So there's a lot of guys around the league. I mean, you know, Judah Mintz, I don't know. I don't know what the appetite is for, you know, a small two guard who can't shoot the ball, um, you know, who has some defensive liabilities, but like, again, there's, there's a lot more second round conversation starters in the ACC than there are slam dunk first rounders. I, I would probably cap that list at just Filipowski and McCain right now. It's funny. You mentioned we, we did a, we did a show last week uh, where we each gave three takes about where Syracuse was here. And one of mine was, I don't think June is getting drafted based on like he's small. He, he shoots, shoots the ball and doesn't make it a lot. Um, I, the most damning number is not only is has he had trouble shooting from the outside, his two-point percentage on non-layups is under 25%. And that number really stood out to me as like, ooh, that is not good, especially if you're not hitting it from, from three-point range. Um, you know, PJ Hall has been so interesting to me. Um, and you know, Clemson just played a really tight game, you know, down at home against Carolina. And those have been two of the top teams in the conference this year. Do you see, you know, Carolina made the national title game, you know, I would say rather unexpectedly two years ago. And Clemson was a team that's getting close to the top 10. Carolina is in the top 10. How many, you know, what is the ceiling for this league? Is is Carolina a legit final four team? Could Clemson be a second weekend team? Duke a second weekend team? What do you see as kind of the ceiling for the league this year? Yeah, you know, I, I think that I'll put it this way. I would not want to play Duke or North Carolina in the NCAA tournament. Um, North Carolina, I think, you know, in two of the three seasons that Hubert Davis has been head coach, the offense has been, you know, top 10, top 20-ish right now. I think it's 11th in adjusted efficiency, you know, while we're recording. Um, that is scary. North Carolina has a lot of ways it can beat you. It can shoot three. Obviously, Armando Baycott hasn't been the Armando Baycott who, you know, was a borderline All-American two years ago. But he just shut down P.J. Hall, you know, completely dominated that game on the interior, I think, especially in the second half. Um, and is a guy who's still incredibly effective, like Harrison Ingram can do a little bit of everything. Um, so, you know, North Carolina. And again, they're doing this with Cormac Ryan, who they brought in to be sort of the senior sharpshooter. You know, I think he's hitting under 30 percent from three right now. So 
North Carolina is definitely a team who, who, and very sneakily now is top 20 defensively too, you know, have really gritted out some games recently. Duke, I think is probably a little more volatile, but like when Duke is shooting the ball, well, it's, that's a hard team to beat because they got a bunch of guys who can beat you. Um, not the best defensive team, not the biggest team in the world. They, they beat you differently than they did last year, rather than, you know, starting two seven footers, they start three guards. They're very perimeter oriented attack and transition ball movement, et cetera, et cetera. Um, again, not a team you really want to get in the track meet with Clemson, you know, at, at full health, I think, uh, absolutely can be a second weekend team. You know, I think wake forest is interesting with their offense, just the ability to score. Like they're, they're probably going to play tournament games in the eighties, but they'll be, they, they have the potential to play tournament games. Um, Miami is interesting because I think they have upset potential and again like what they do offensively not a lot of teams do you know they they love that small ball and um you know nigel pack has been in and out of the lineup this year but when he's in they look pretty good um that kentucky loss notwithstanding you know i think miami has looked solid this year not as solid but again like wake forest miami those are the teams that are like all right if they get in you know they could score a lot of points which can be dangerous but you know, outside of Duke and North Carolina, and, and especially North Carolina, who I think will probably be the torchbearer for the league in the NCAA tournament, I struggle to see a lot of teams that are going to make noise. Um, you know, Clemson second weekend, yeah, but like Virginia does not look good. Virginia, it looks like it's facing an uphill battle to make the tournament. You know, Syracuse is still kind of in the conversation. Virginia Tech, NC State, but None of those teams are teams that if you have them as a first round matchup, you're very afraid of to put it, put it that way. You mentioned the Duke team, obviously not wanting to get into a track meet with them. That was kind of the front and back of Syracuse's matchup with them back on the second first half, you know, in the low thirties, twenties. And then all of a sudden Duke comes out and makes nine threes in the second half. Um, just looking at that performance, it was a tale of two halves. Like I mentioned, um, was anything surprising to you from the orange standpoint and what kind of does that result and kind of the first half versus the second half tell you about a Syracuse team going against Duke at Cameron Indoor? Yeah. You know, I, I, I was really impressed with Syracuse in the first half. I really was, you know, they, the, that was a team that I think in, in past years, if Duke had gotten up, you know, five or six, which it did a couple of times in that first half, you know, I don't know that this is a team that necessarily had the, the, horsepower to get back into it and they did in the first half you know we're rebounding well playing pretty solid defense forcing duke into tough shots um you know and then in the second half you saw what duke can be you know duke had a five minute stretch it was like a 16 to 4 run and the game went from being one point to being 13 points and like that's it um and you know to me i i just don't know that syracuse is going to be able to make any sort of serious run with the shooting it has right now or lack thereof. Like if you're playing a team like Duke that can do that and can get hot like that, what's the counter? Um, so like Syracuse has interesting pieces, I think. And that was Copeland was coming off of his, you know, whatever supernova game. And I kept expecting like, all right, man, maybe this is going to be the, the possession. And it just didn't happen. Um, you know, JJ Starling even hit a three and I was like, wow, this is incredible. And it didn't matter. Um, you know, I think especially defensively, some of the gambling that the guards do, Judah, especially, um, you know, when you're gambling like that, Duke, they were able to make Duke pay in the first half. And in the second half, Duke figured out, all right, we're just going to pass it around you. And if you're still going to gamble, we're going to burn you. And so had a couple of like no look assists from Tyrese Proctor to March Mickle at the dunker spot, like, 
I don't think Syracuse is a bad team. I just think it's inherently flawed and inherently has a cap on its ceiling because of its shooting. Like if you could put Joe Girard shooting, if you could give that superpower to like one player on this team, I think it changes the calculus, but you know, he's playing in a different orange uniform this year. I think that's a really good way uh, of putting it. And not only does all that not help when you're playing six, six, Justin Taylor on six, 11, Kyle Filipowski, um, and he's not in foul trouble in the second half. That's also probably not going to be an effective defensive strategy for teams matching up with sticking with Duke a little bit. Cause I, I think the blue devils are, are really interesting is kind of the way you limit them, you know, really effective three-point defense or or are there other ways you can slow Duke down? Because that's kind of, you know, you know, at halftime of that game, I was sitting there, I was like, did Syracuse just play really well or did they get lucky that Duke didn't hit any shots? And it turned out the answer was, oh, Duke didn't hit any shots and that's the reason it was a close game. Is that the only way Duke will lose games is if they're not shooting well or are there other ways you can attack the Blue Devils? No, I, I think actually what Syracuse did in the first half, um, you know, what they what they're switching was forcing Duke into so much ISO play. I think that's a way that you can really create problems for Duke, especially when they do have, you know, such this they've got this glut of perimeter talent. At times, if you're able to switch on them, like those guys are gonna feel they're it's like, all right, five seconds on the shot clock, it's me time, you know, like Jeremy Roach, it's Jeremy Roach time. Um so that is one way I think teams that can switch, especially teams that can switch with size, they can give Duke some problems. Um, and last year, you know, Duke struggled with a similar sort of thing. That was actually how they sort of started to unlock Derek Lively was teams were having so much success, you know, switching against them. Um, and then offensively, they couldn't really match it. And so when they started switching with Lively, that that was how they sort of built up this transition defense. But I, I think another way that Duke is vulnerable and, Syracuse is definitely not the team to exploit this. Um, they don't have a ton of size, you know, defensive rebounding wise, they have to gang rebound because they just, they don't have that size on the court. I mean, realistically, they're playing Filipowski at the five considerable number of minutes. Ryan Young gets played off the floor and, you know, when he's able to be out there, when it is a slower paced game, when an opposing team has a more conventional center, Ryan Young can still be effective. Um, but if you're playing against a stretch guy, someone who can pull him out of the, onto the perimeter, he's a complete liability. So if you have size, especially if you have like mobile size against Duke, you, you can really hurt them on the boards and get those second chance opportunities. Cause Filipowski, you know, he's a seven footer, but he's got a negative wingspan and that's not his best attribute. Um, so those are the ways that I think you can hurt Duke. But again, if you get into a track meet with them and especially when the three pointers are falling, it, it gets pretty hairy pretty quick as Syracuse found out. Syracuse definitely struggles in terms of the the athletic size that Nahima Cloud brings. That it was the it was the pit game where one of the Diaz Graham um, brothers would just slip that screen and shoot the three, and it was Nahim had no chance of guarding the guy driving and also getting back to guarding the three. It was yeah, it definitely showed you some holes in Syracuse's defense in that point. Adrian Autry in his first year trying to somehow replicate what Hubert Davis did in his first year, bring his team to the national title game. We'll see if that ends up happening. Obviously, um, they went to the national title game this year, a little bit of a different team, losing Caleb Love um, to Arizona, and then R.J. Davis really stepping up as that main guard. Is this the best team that Hubert Davis has had in his time as head coach um, at North Carolina? Outside of six weeks, his first year when they were on that magical run. Yeah, absolutely. It's the best team has had. I mean, it's the best resume his team has had. You know, they've got non-conference wins against Oklahoma and Tennessee. And that Tennessee win is going to be 
that thing's going to age like fine wine. I mean, it looks better and better. Like UNC could not have put a game like that together last year where they got out to this tremendous lead in the first half and it got a little hairy in the second half and they were able to come back and do that. Like those were the games that North Carolina lost last year and quite frankly, the year before. Um, But yeah, you know, especially defensively with this team to do like Hubert Davis just has so many like versatile pieces and he's got more depth than he's ever had. Um, He's finally, again, he's not, not, you know, going to lead the country in bench minutes by any points, but he's at least going eight, nine, sometimes 10 deep. And, you know, really relying on guys like he, you know, he started doing this thing is falling into this routine, which has actually worked out really well, where he starts Elliot Cadeau, who's this reclassified five-star pass first point guard, um, who quite frankly has not necessarily been up to snuff of late. Um, and he's picked up, Elliot's been in foul trouble a couple of games and UNC is bringing in Seth Trimble, who is one of their better defenders. And he's looked fantastic and has been a key to them turning into a top 20 defense over the last couple of weeks. So between that, you know, you've got Harrison Ingram who can, you know, guard threes, can guard fours, can guard some fives. Um, you know, RJ Davis is operating at a crazy usage rate, but he's also been crazy efficient. Like there's just a lot to like about this team. And again, it's not perfect. They can get beat on the boards. Armando Baycott, if he's ineffective, like, you know, or if he gets in foul trouble, they really struggle. They don't necessarily have a, a true backup five, especially defensively, but there's a lot to like about this team, and um, especially what we've seen defensively the last week and a half. I've been, you know, really impressed uh, with with what North Carolina has shown. Yeah, thinking about that Tennessee team, I was lucky enough to be at the Maui Invitational. Syracuse played Tennessee in the opening game, and I mean, we've talked about how Syracuse struggles to score and struggles to shoot, but like seeing Tennessee up close, like that is a very good defense. Syracuse scored, I, I want to say, mid fifties against the Vols, and then I be- I got home. And I turn on the ACC SEC challenge. <laughs> North Carolina is in the 90s against Tennessee. Uh, is this an indictment on Syracuse, or is it, or is this you know North Carolina playing really really well? Yeah, no, I th- I think it was a couple of things. Like it, that's not an indictment on Syracuse uh, because Tennessee's defense is that good, and I think they're second right now in adjusted offensive or adjusted defensive efficiency. Excuse me, per Kempom. Um, you know, they're smothering and they're not quite as physical as last year. Um, you know, when they had Plavsic inside, who was just like a seven foot two brick wall of a human, um, they don't necessarily have that guy anymore. Um, but they're just much more well-rounded. And like, I think that game was, it was a North Carolina at its absolute best. Um, just absolutely lighting it up on the scoreboard. Everybody was doing what they needed to. Elliot Cadeau had 10 assists that game. It was probably his best game in a UNC jersey so far. And you had everybody scoring. It was very balanced. The other thing was Tennessee has gotten significantly better since then. Um, you know, Zakai Ziegler, who I think you could have argued might have been the National Defensive Player of the Year last year had he not torn his ACL. Um, he only in the last couple of weeks has started to look like that guy again and was definitely not that guy against North Carolina. Um, you know, Santiago, uh, Santiago Fiscovi, who's one of, you know, Tennessee's veterans, you know, he's been there forever, uh, dependable three point shooter, like can play both guard positions. He was an absolute disaster in that game. Um, it was basically Dalton connect versus everybody. Like he, you know, that is like, that is the tape that NBA scouts are going to pull up when they want to see Dalton connect. So like, I think it was a, a wild confluence of factors, but if you are a Syracuse fan, I don't think that struggling to score on Tennessee should be too much of an indictment. Like, again, not to oversimplify things, but when you have the fundamental lack of shooting that Syracuse has this year, um, it's not just the fundamental lack of shooting. It's also like, you know, they do have Naheem, 
it's good that they have Naheem. They haven't had a guy like him the past couple of years, but this is not a team that like thrives on the interior by any means. And so like when you're talking about not having either of those two tent poles, it's kind of hard to build something that's, that's got real high end potential. So the fact that they haven't had any of those sort of like what happened here losses yet, I think is really encouraging. Um, I also think that Autry is managing a lot of personalities right now. Um, not necessarily good personalities all the time. Um, and so like, if I'm a Syracuse fan, I'm encouraged by what I've seen so far, just thinking about it from a long-term lens, even understanding the limitations on the current team, if that makes sense. Yeah, You're talking about Tennessee. That was pretty much the first game for Syracuse of like a test of what this team could be their first really big competition in the Maui Invitational. You talk about the Tennessee win for North Carolina aging like fine wine. That it seems to be the case for Syracuse's win against Oregon. Now that they've gone on a little bit of a run, kind of aging like fine wine, potentially turning into a quad one victory. Um, that's kind of one of the stories of, of North Carolina's non-conference, a very kind of difficult non-con, three ranked, ranked wins, two ranked losses, and also playing a Villanova team in there. Kind of what did um, North Carolina do in the non-con? How would you evaluate that? And how is that going to help them kind of down the stretch to the ACC playing into the NCAA tournament? Yeah, you know, I, I think the non-conference for North Carolina is really kind of the reason you're seeing the defensive turnaround that you're seeing now, because North Carolina couldn't stop you and I in the non-conference. Um, Eric Dixon for Villanova had a career high. Tremont Mark for Arkansas, career career night. Dalton Connect, career night. Like every single play, every single team they were playing was having a dude who was like, oh my God, it's Christmas. Like this is the best matchup I've ever had. And Quite frankly, that's kind of been the story of North Carolina since Hubert Davis became head coach. Um, you know, again, outside of that six-week stretch, like this is the team that has gotten bullied defensively in the non-conference every single year. And so when you saw that against Villanova, it was like, all right, here we go again. Um, and then even though they, they're able to win against Arkansas, you're like kind of worried. Same thing with Tennessee. Like they let Tennessee come back in that game. Like the win holds, but they let Tennessee come back. And so – what you're seeing now, especially, you know, they they lose the tough one to UConn. Cam Spencer lights them up. You know, basically everybody for Kentucky couldn't miss when they played Kentucky. Um, I think because of all of those performances, what you've seen now this last week and a half is North Carolina hasn't played perfect offense. That has been the calling card under Hubert Davis. And on the road at Pitt, on the road at Clemson, these last two wins, they have not played excellent offensive basketball, and yet they have specifically shut down the people they needed to shut down Blake Henson and PJ Hall and Joe Girard didn't have a great game, you know, the other night either. So I think, I don't know if that's a, a psychological thing where it's, Hey, we are just not going to allow this anymore. Um, I do think that as the year goes on, Hubert Davis has done some different things defensively, especially in ball screen coverages. Um, he did some at the start of the year, then they got a little stale. He's gone back to a little more variety lately. Um, but North Carolina's defense these past couple of weeks, I think, you know, what they experienced in the non-conference, that was kind of the, the straw. And eventually it broke North Carolina's back. And now you're seeing, for the first time under Hubert Davis, a, a real spine from North Carolina defensively. Yeah, I caught a little of both the Pittsburgh game and the Clemson game. And I was like, oh, this like these i mean we just i just watched pittsburgh you know score a, a good amount of points against syracuse and then north carolina you know on the road is, is putting the clamps on blake Kinson, who didn't have a good game against syracuse too um but like i just checked ken palm they're up to 16th in defensive efficiency on on ken palm just talked about you know syracuse's ability 
not or inability to to shoot the ball, especially, you know, what kind of challenges will will Carolina present for them specifically um, on that end of the or I guess on both ends of the floor, but specifically Syracuse's offense versus Carolina's improved defense, because that seems like a pretty big mismatch at the moment. Yeah, and I, I don't think that um, Syracuse's guards, who at times have a propensity for turning the ball over, um, I don't know that that's necessarily going to fare super well for the Orange. Um, and again, you know, it's kind of a similar situation to the Duke game in that, like, the, the two things that North Carolina can really burn you with and the two things that it's used to overcome, you know, the better teams that it's beaten this year are it's shot the light out from three, so, you know, you've got Cormac Ryan can have a heater any given night. RJ Davis can have a heater. Harrison Ingram can have a heater. Uh, Seth Trimble has really evolved into a decent shooter now. Um, Jalen Washington, like they have guys who can hurt you from the perimeter. If any one of them gets going, like, see ya. Um, and then also, you know, Armando Baycott has kind of gotten lost in the shuffle in terms of like national player of the year honors, like ACC player of the year honors. Like he hasn't been up to that standard i think from that we saw from him two seasons ago but like he just shut down pj hall and he's a better rebounder i think than anybody who syracuse has um which is not like some sort of like huge surprise statement um armando baycott has the ability to dominate that game on the interior north carolina has the ability to dominate from the perimeter too um i do think that syracuse if they if they're able to switch effectively against north carolina I think that can be something that slows UNC down a little bit. Um, but also the fact that this game is at home, um, I, I think you just are, are talking about a lot of factors piling up in North Carolina's favor. And like, again, if it gets to be a game where UNC, which has happened a lot this season, they run out to a 12 point lead or a 10 point lead. They did that against Oklahoma. I don't know that Syracuse is going to be a, a team who can shoot their way back into it. So um, again, not saying it can't happen. I think if Syracuse can switch effectively, they can keep this thing close. Um, but if North Carolina is able to get any sort of mountable lead at home, I don't know that Syracuse has the horses, especially in that environment, to to make a comeback. It was funny you mentioned the uh, career highs for the players earlier this year. It reminded me of two years ago in the in the Deem Dome, Cole Swatter going off for thirty six in the overtime game. I was going to ask how how realistic do you think is Syracuse's chances? We kind of just touched on a little bit there. Um, what does Syracuse kind of have to do to exploit UNC to have a chance like they did against Duke going into the second half to have a chance to pull off the upset? Yeah, well, you know, Syracuse, I, I think the games that Syracuse has won this year, they've done a really nice job of turning teams over. Um, and, and using that as a way to create offense. And so on a North Carolina team that does have multiple ball handlers like that, I, I think the switching will be huge, blowing up some of the sets that North Carolina wants to run. Um, and again, this is a UNC team that can dominate in terms of rebounding when Armando Baycott's at his best, but it does not always. And so especially if you can get him into some early foul trouble, um, it's it's an interior that's that's up for the grabs. I mean, Jalen Washington is UNC's backup five and really skilled offensive player, but defensively just has no strength. Like that is a matchup that Syracuse absolutely can take advantage of. So, you know, if you like, I think that Judah is quick enough to keep up with RJ Davis. Um, that's not something you can say about every lead guard in the league. Um, but you know, is he going to be interested in actually staying with him or is he going to be swiping for steals? Um, you know, so it's like a fine line because you have to be able to do both. So turning North Carolina over is something not a lot of teams have had success with this year. Oklahoma is another team who, 
you know, traditionally has done that really well this year and didn't against UNC. Um, so I, you know, I think if you can, if you can switch defensively, get Armando Bay out of foul trouble, try and take advantage of some second chance points. North Carolina has been vulnerable there at times this season. Like there is a pathway to success. Um, there's just a much larger pathway to success for North Carolina. Like there are, there is not a lot of leeway here for Syracuse. Yeah. The the margin for error is, is much greater for North Carolina. We'll see if, if the orange have, have what it takes first of two meetings a month, a month apart. Exactly. Um, and Syracuse gets Carolina at home on a Tuesday night in February, which, uh, which w- I, I'm guess since, you know, they played Duke on the road, they played Georgetown on the road. That'll probably be the biggest home game of the year for Syracuse. Um, and, and its biggest chance for, for a signature win in front of its home fans. It'll be a, a really interesting game in February, but, but this Saturday's game a lot more pertinent and, uh, will be the eye. I know Duke was close to, I think they were around a 15 point favorite last week. I would expect North Carolina to be something in that same realm. Brendan, thank you so much for, for joining us. Where can people, you know, find your work, uh, and, and coverage of, of Saturday's game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all my stories go up at the athletic, um, theathletic.com. If you haven't checked this out so far, uh, you know, I'm biased, but I think we have the most comprehensive sports writing in the world. You know, you get all my stuff, you get the rest of our college basketball team, but you also get NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB. Um, and I also, you know, I put all my stuff on my Twitter at Brendan R. Marks or X, if we're calling it that now. Um, but yeah, very excited for Saturday. It should be a good one. Really, really appreciate your time. And, and thanks for joining us once again. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. I'm looking forward to doing it again next year, four years in a row. Thanks so much again to Brendan for his time and thank you to Empire Hearing and Audiology for their continued support of the Ostrom Avenue podcast. A lot in there that he said about Syracuse, about Duke, about Carolina, about the ACC as a whole. The Orange with two games recording this Wednesday morning before Syracuse takes on Boston College tonight. And of course, we'll have full coverage of that game on W8ER starting at 8.30 going up all the way until 1 a.m. after the game. For me, before I toss it over to you guys, I, I like this has to be a one and one week. If this is an 0 and two week, then I'll be really disappointed in no way, shape, or form. Do I think Syracuse is going to go on the road on Saturday and win at North Carolina? So that kind of makes makes tonight, Wednesday night's game, a, a pretty close to a must win because it wouldn't be a bad loss to lose at home to BC, but it 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 wouldn't be good if you lost at home to Boston College. So I, I, I'm looking for a win tonight for the Orange, and that's where I'm going to Nostrum picks. Yeah, it just depends on what your expectations with the team are at this point. I feel like there have been some good, there have been some bad, and it's really hard to gauge what you can expect from the team on a, on a night-in, night-out basis. I mean, I, if you expect the team to be a tournament team, you have to go one-on-one. One. There's no chance you can't. If you're like a bubble team, then you, eh. I, I think Boston College is better than people have come to expect them to be in years past. I mean, they have two pretty dynamic scores in Claudel Davis and I forget his first name, but McLaughlin um, and Quentin Post, obviously, who's kind of tormented Syracuse a little bit in the last year. Um, so I think they're people are, they're better than people think, but obviously if you want to make the NCAA tournament and be a top half of the ACC team, you have to be Boston college, especially because the games at home. I mean, you just got to take care of the home court at the end of the day. I mean, and then, top 10 North Carolina team on the road. I mean, the expectations are at all time low. I mean, just go out there and, and play, play balls to the walls. I mean, you have nothing to lose down there. 
I, I got a question for you guys. Uh, okay. I do because you you both have Syracuse, right? I have Syracuse to win, yes. Yeah, yeah. Who's guarding Quentin Post? Who's stopping Quentin Post from well, having? I think Malik. I think Malik, Malik Brown actually might might be pretty good against. Him. I think Malik Brown is is solid at at guarding multiple positions for his size. So the thing with speed. Quentin Post nah, this year, and obviously he scored. He scores double digit points per game. I think what eighteen points per game or something like that. No, no, he doesn't. Uh, does, I don't know. That he scores double digit cool. points per game or something like that. But it's not like as it's not like it was like last year or years past where he's the guy. There are guards that score the basketball that really impact and is a reason why Boston's college scores 80 a game. Yeah. Um, so I think Syracuse can hold up in that sense. I mean, if I was looking through kind of the, the Boston college stuff and we talk about how Judah's a little bit undersized, Boston college guards are small. They they are both six three, I think six three and six two. Like so Syracuse has the height advantage, especially at the guard spot. So I think they'll be able to and it's really about guarding the three. I was looking at the box score the other day against Georgia Tech, Boston College made 12 of 24 or 26 threes or whatever. So if you limit the three-point line, then I think Syracuse can have some success defensively. Um, but, you know, Malik Brown, I think, can handle-ish um, Quinton Post. But if you can contain Kyle Filipowski, I don't see why you can't contain Quinton Post. And uh, and Syracuse is, a, Syracuse is a good home team. Like, uh, uh, like yeah. Have I, they I, lost like, at home? They have not lost at home this year. What, they have four losses? They were... Two in Maui, um, and one Virginia Duke. and Duke. Yeah, or, yeah. Two in two in Hawaii, Virginia and Duke. So, like, those are all expected losses. And I know Virginia. You know, Brendan said it. Virginia might struggle to make the tournament, but at the time, that was a ranked Virginia team and a team that was playing much better than it is right now. But like, you know, having watched Syracuse for as long as I have, like, I'll, I'll knock on wood. I've seen Syracuse lose to Boston College at home before when they mm. when they were supposed to win. But like, Boston College is a team Syracuse beats at home. Like, that's just like how it goes. Um, th- this is a good home basketball team, and I know it's like a late Wednesday night game, so you're not going to have the same crowd you had for Pittsburgh, which was a noon Saturday game. Uh, that's when you you get your best home crowds, but I would still expect there to be a, a a very positive showing from from the Central New Yorkers, even though students aren't back yet. Not not even like students have have helped the past few years anyway. The <laughs> student section at basketball game is very disappointing to say. Except the for least. the biggest game of the year, uh, that's it. Right, unless they're playing Carolina or Duke, students just don't show <laughs> up to games anymore. Um, no. which infuriates me to no end. But like. Now I've completely sidetracked myself. I'm gonna say what I'm saying. The dome isn't that appealing to watch basketball. I'm just gonna throw that out there. It's not. I don't think the dome is that appealing to watch basketball. That takes what? What for the students? Like being behind the basket? I I think I think the whole atmosphere of the dome. I think it gives good sound, and and it's it's kind of cool as like a novelty thing, but I think it's too big. I think the dome is too big for basketball, especially. You should have saved this for the not... next factory. Uh, yeah. Okay. You know what? I'll more in the. I next mean, you could bring it back up if you want, but that I, is an interesting it'll come take. Back up more in the next factory. I yield. Okay. Now, we'll hold judgment on that for <laughs> for a little while. Um, we will. Uh, we we will come back to that. Yeah. Th- this is just a game you have to win. Uh, if you're Syracuse, if you lose to Boston College at home, I, I think everyone will be disappointed because the expectations that you've set for yourself by the way you've played this season so far is that this is a game you win. Um, 
And, you know, maybe before the season, the expectations shouldn't have weren't this high, but now expectations change as you play better, as you beat, you know, Georgetown on the road, as you beat Oregon on the road, as you beat Pittsburgh at home, then expectations start to rise. And this is a game where the expectation is, oh, Syracuse should win at home. Yeah. And you look at, you look at your lovely Ken Palm. I was looking at this last night and I brought it back up. Boston College is 82, Syracuse is 79. So, I mean, statistically, Syracuse overall is a better team. Boston College, 46th in offense because they can they can score the rock. And then um, 164 in defense. So, I mean, it could be a high-scoring game. I, I agree. I agree. I, I feel like expectations for me personally are hard to gauge at this point because they've been one step forward, one step back the last couple of weeks um, since they've gotten the conference play. But, I mean, if you want, again, if you want to compete to be the middle tier to mid up I guess tier of the conference this is a game you need to win by at least five to ten right like Brendan was saying the the middling tier of this conference is quite vast there are a lot of teams in in that range that could be anywhere from what four to thirteen really in in this conference with your you know your Louisville and your Notre Dame at the bottom and your Duke your Carolina and Clemson at at the top what were you going to say Hudson I was just going to say I agree with you guys. Like, everything you've been saying about Syracuse has to win this game to prove that they are a top-of-the-mid-tier ACC team. I just don't have the most confidence. I definitely have zero confidence about going into North Carolina and picking up a win the way the Tar Heels have been playing. I have absolutely no confidence in that. I have – I wouldn't say confidence – in Syracuse, I think it's going to be a close game, regardless. I don't think this is going to be a blowout in favor of Boston College. I just don't see BC not passing it to Quentin Post consistently. And then they have the guard kickout options. I don't know. There's just something about this BC team. There's something in the water with this BC team where I think they can go on the road to the Dome and get it done. I have never had any faith in Boston College in athletics in any way in my entire life ever. Until now, I I think they can pull it out and get it done. I might be crazy. Who, who knows? I mean, could be a good, a somewhat decent matchup for Naheem McLeod facing a, finally another seven-footer that is more of a post guy. I mean, he, Quinn Post does shoot the three very well, so that'll be a problem. You know, I think that'll be part of the game plan is to get Naheem moving. But maybe Naheem McLeod has a somewhat decent game against a guy more of his size and athleticism. Naheem McLeod's plus minus might be minus fifteen. Like it might, it just might be. It just might be. Yeah. Well, I, I, the Naheem McLeod. All right, I'll give you guys one over under before we wrap things up. Naheem McLeod, nine and a half minutes over under. Over. Over. Okay. I'll mark that down and I'll, I'll I think the reason why he only got seven against Duke was because Duke was just so athletic. And I think, I mean, BC's athletic, obviously, but like not to Duke's capabilities. So I think right. that's why he'll get over 10. Yeah. I don't think he plays much more than 10 though. Maybe like 13. Right. We will, uh, we'll make note of this and come back to it on next week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Ostrom Avenue podcast. A crazy week here on W8U. I mentioned earlier about the women's game broadcast on Thursday. We got four days in a row of live shows on W8U. That starts 
tonight, Wednesday night, Syracuse hosting Boston College. We'll have full coverage of that game. Then Syracuse women's basketball at Wake Forest on Thursday morning, starting at 11. Friday, sports night returns from 8 to 9 p.m. And then on Saturday, Syracuse at North Carolina, a noon tip. I will also be at that game, and I am very excited to get to the Dean Dome. Uh, will be my first time there, ready to check another one off the college uh, basketball stadium bucket list. Uh, so now, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, what are, I'll, I'll, I'll ask this to you guys. What would you say are, you know, the, the college basketball bucket list stadiums? The If I had to come up with a Mount Rushmore, the four that came to mind to me were, were, were the Dean Dome, Cameron Indoor, uh, Allen Fieldhouse and Assembly Hall. Would that like as on campus arenas? Uh, I think obviously Assembly Hall and Allen Fieldhouse have to be in there along with Cameron Indoor. Hudson, I'm throwing a curveball. I want to see that Oregon court in person. That so I, you know actually I was thinking I was literally thinking of Oregon while you were talking. I was like, oh, the Forest Court, and then also yeah. I was thinking Poly Pavilion is also a really good one out on the West Coast as well. That's a good one. Yeah. I know Hudson wasn't saying the dome. I have been to Stanford's actually. Now that they're going to be in the ACC, Stanford's arena is gorgeous. It's like a smaller mm. arena, but it's it's very pretty. I I can't really think of a whole lot others that like I I need. I mean, the rack is the rack is elite too, but that's just my New Jerseyism part. That's yeah, true. Of course, to, I was talking about you know historical historical basketball. college basketball arenas. You know what, what's wrong with the rack being historical? Yeah, it's it, it, no way it's. Maybe like the Palestra would be a, a historical college. Okay, but basketball they don't play there all I the was time. Thinking, um, they don't play there all the time. I I I have no words. Somehow, once again, we got a Rutgers mention in on this well, podcast. Well, Thankfully, nope, Ryan. don't say it. Don't. Yep. Don't. Yep. There it is. Welsh yep. Ryan. There it is. <laughs> yes, that was Welsh Ryan, the home that, of the original uh, NCAA tournament. Yep. Knew that was People coming. Oh, what about Hinkle? Uh, should, Hinkle I should have opened, You know. I learned Hinky, my lesson. Hinkle. I shouldn't have opened. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have opened it up to to comment from the group. Shouldn't have opened it up. <laughs> um, well, thank you very much to listening for to the show. As always, you can find our video interviews and sometimes the full episode on our YouTube channel, the Ostrom Avenue Podcast YouTube page, and check us out on Twitter as well at Ostrom Avenue Podcast. A busy weekend of games. You can hear all our voices on WAER and a lot of content on WAER. Dot org and you can find us uh next week uh after we'll have probably three games for this men's team to recap bc north carolina and then Pitt on tuesday so should be an exciting podcast next week previewing miami and recapping those three contests thanks again enjoy the weekend and we'll talk to you next week 